the Old Testament passage of 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Children, you'll know this story because it's about the great king David, not yet king, anointed king, and his defeat of Goliath, the giant from the Philistines. But this morning we're going to read beginning at verse 55 through chapter 18 through 4. And then we also have a New Testament reading from Matthew chapter 22. Let's hear God's holy word. As soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And the king said, Inquire whose son the boy is. And as soon as David returned from the striking down of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Amen. Our New Testament reading from Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. Just before the last journey of our Lord to Jerusalem, as we heard, read. Just before he went to the cross. Verse 41. Matthew twenty-two forty-one. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David in the Spirit calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word. Nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers of the field, they all perish. But the word of our God, it endures forever and forever, and this is God's holy word. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we now come to the chief means of grace, 
proclamation of your word, we pray that by the power of your spirit, you would come upon us, refresh us, and anoint us so that we might see beautiful things out of your law. For your glory and for our good in the exaltation of Christ the King. Amen. The grand story of David and Goliath is behind us. It's about two representatives of two kingdoms. The story of David and Goliath is the story of Christ's defeat of Satan. He who is the champion of the hosts of heaven has defeated the wicked serpent who has become that ugly dragon. And as the narrator concludes this narrative, after all, it takes up most of the verses in 1 and 2 Samuel. It's the climatic uh, narrative in this chronicle. He concludes with what literary types call a denouement, the final cleanup, the tidying up of loose ends, we might say, the result. And this narrative has three parts to this denouement. In verses 50 through 54, Israel defeats the enemy, the Philistines, and David decapitates Goliath. And then in our text, 55 through 58, we have Saul asking whose son David is. And then in chapter 18, 1 through 4, Jonathan and David become spiritual friends. It's these two last two parts of the denouement that we'll be concentrating on this morning. Now, it's important for us to know where the narrative is going. David is or has been anointed king over Israel by Samuel. In these last number of chapters, we have seen how David is being exalted. Currently, Saul is on the throne, as you know, and even though Samuel has already anointed David to be the king, David's not yet on the throne. There's going to be some drama before we get there. Even though Samuel has told Saul that the kingdom has been given to a friend of his, Saul does not relinquish power. He doesn't resign peacefully. It's anything but. And so there's going to be a lot of drama between now and between the time David ascends to the throne. But as we'll see this morning, we're going to have significant advancement to that end. And so we'll consider two headings as we look at our text, one from each of these last parts. First, the importance of Saul's question. The importance of Saul's question. And then secondly, the importance of Jonathan's covenant. The importance of Jonathan's covenant. And you'll notice it's not just for then, but it's for now. It's for you and me as we consider these important questions and actions this morning. First then, the importance of Saul's question. Verses 55 through 58, they reveal a conversation between Saul, the king of Israel, 
and his calculating lieutenant, Abner. And verse 55 takes us back in time just before David's victory when he was going from Saul to meet Goliath. King Saul said to Abner, the commander of the army, verse 55, whose son is this youth? Now, I'm sure, like many people, when you have read this, these verses, you're saying to yourself, doesn't King Saul know who he is? Is this a misplaced part of Scripture? It surely looks like it's out of place. Why did Saul fail to recognize David when he was one of his favorites earlier? After all, David was introduced to Saul's court back in chapter 16, verse 21. Why, then, the question? Now, there are two things we need to know. First, that this is, this, these verses are a part of the denouement. The writer is tying up the loose ends, we might say, of this narrative of the main story. But second, we need to understand the question that Saul is asking Abner. Saul did not ask Abner who David was. Saul was asking Abner, whose son is this youth? Whose son is this youth? Saul asked, in other words, about David's family. And nothing in these verses necessarily implies that Saul failed to recognize who David was. Now these two thoughts help us to understand why these verses are here in Holy Scripture. Sometimes we read over them very quickly and we wonder why they are even here. But back in chapter 17, verse 24... You remember how Goliath defiled the living God and the armies of the living God. And then what happened is all the men, the mighty men, retreated from, the Goliath, from Goliath. And as they were retreating, David, the shepherd boy who had come to the battlefield, he was told about the reward the king would give to the one who would defeat the, the, the giant. And what was that reward? You might remember, the king would reward him with great riches. The king would give him his daughter to be wife. And the king would make his father's house free of taxes. Three great rewards. So when David now, when he returns from slaying the giant with the giant's head before King Saul, it's understandable that Saul then would inquire about David's family background, about his social status. What was David's pedigree? Who was going to be his new son-in-law? Who was the family who would be freed from all paying tribute in Israel? So those are some questions we might ask to help us understand why this passage is here. But there's something more that's going on in our passage, and we're alerted to that by its repetition. 
In Hebrew, you probably know that if the author wants to stress something, he will repeat what he is wanting to stress. And so there's often double repetition. But if something's very important, very, very important, he'll repeat it three times. And we have great examples in the Old Testament, but one you know very well, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Isaiah wants us to know, God wants us to know the significance of who he is in his holiness. And that's what we have here. Three times King Saul inquires whose son is he? Whose son is this youth? Three times. And interestingly, we have that in verse 55, 56, and 58. And interestingly, three times we have the answer. Back in chapter 16, verse 18, 17, 12, and then here in verse 58. Now, why is this question so important? Why three times? Well, we need to remember where we are in redemptive history. You need to follow with me now. At the end of the book of Judges, just turn over a few pages. At the end of the book of Judges, in chapter 21... The very last verse gives us the summary of the book. In those days, chapter 21, 25, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And so in other words, the, the narrator is crying out, we need a king. We need a king. And if you know the book of Judges, you know how corrupt and perverse Israel was. They needed a leader, a priest, a shepherd king to lead the people of God. And then the next book in our Bible is the book Ruth, where the setting of the narrative is in the town of Bethlehem. Bethlehem, which literally means the house of bread. We might say it's the breadbasket of Israel. And now, as we move into 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 17, I want you to notice something. Jesse's back home with David in Bethlehem. And Jesse commands David to go visit his brothers on the battlefield. And he told them to take two-thirds of a bushel of parched grain and ten loaves of bread and ten cheeses to the commander of thousands. And to inquire about the brothers. How are they doing? How are your siblings doing? And bring a small token from them, so that David, his father Jesse, might know. Now, do you see what the narrator is showing us? He is saying, blessing is coming to Israel from Bethlehem. Not just in terms of food, bread, cheese, loaves of bread and grain, No, but in greater provisions. 
a king is coming to Israel from Bethlehem. A man of God's own choosing. And three times we are told that David is the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite. And Bethlehem is in Judah. And you remember Father Jacob said that from Judah will come Israel's king. And so for every person who read the narrative from Joshua and Judges and Ruth and then to 1 Samuel, as they would read it to their children and in the synagogues and to their grandchildren, they would be saying, God is providing a king. God is sending provisions to Israel, a great provision, and it's coming from Bethlehem. What glad, glorious, redeeming news that God has for Israel. Finally, after all the perversity of Israel, all the false worship, all the oppression from the enemies that we have in Judges, there is hope on the horizon. God is providing a shepherd king for his people in the person of David, the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Now, redemptive history doesn't end with David. No, it continues, of course, and being and fulfilled in his greater son, Christ Jesus. And the question that we have before us in our text that Saul asks Abner is paramount in Christ's life as to his purpose and to his office. You know the Gospels. It's so important to the theme of Matthew that he begins his Gospel with Jesus' lineage. And then particularly that he is the son of David according to his humanity. So important is this theme to the evangelist Mark that he begins the narrative of our Lord Jesus Christ being the Son of God. And he ends his gospel narrative with the same truth and with the confession, you remember, from the centurion as he sees Christ on the cross. Truly, this man is the Son of God. Of God. Gospel writer Luke, he combines both early on in his gospel. First, by giving us the narrative of Jesus' physical birth in Luke 2, being from the house and lineage of David. And then you remember how he concludes Jesus' genealogy with the words, Son of Adam. Son of God. Now the question that Saul asked of Abner is constantly upon the minds of the leaders of Israel in reference to Jesus. That was always what they are worrying about and talking about. And so throughout the Gospels, they question who Jesus is. You remember in John 8, they even mock our Lord Jesus and they say, we 
We're from Abraham's stock. And then they infer about our Lord Jesus that he was born out of wedlock. They know he was born of Mary and his brothers and his sisters, but that knowledge is not enough. And so at the end of Matthew's Gospel, in the passage that we read this morning, Jesus turns the table. They were asking him all these questions, and now he asks them the most important question that could come to them. What do you think of Christ? Whose son is he? Whose son is he? Jesus Christ is asking Saul's question to the leaders of Israel. If God is to bring blessing to Israel, it must come from Bethlehem, one from the tribe of Judah, as the scriptures said. And God did. God did. In the mystery of the incarnation, God fulfilled his promise about the Savior, the great King Jesus Christ, the Son of God and the Son of God of Mary. And so the narrative would have us ask the question, whose son is he? It's actually the most important question you can ever ask and answer. Whose son is he? Because it's only as we know Jesus Christ to be the son of God and the son of Mary, the God-man, that we might enjoy salvation. And there is no salvation outside of knowing him. Remember how the Apostle John puts it in 1 John chapter 4. He says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And this is the Christ we preach throughout all the world. There is no other gospel without this good news. And this is the question that you ask your neighbors, your friends, as you evangelize. It's quite simple. Have you heard about Jesus Christ? And then you say, whose son is he? Whose son? And interestingly, after King Jesus defeated the dragon on the cross, of Calvary, the Father rewarded his son with the three rewards that Saul promised David. The Father rewarded his son with great riches, gave him a bride, and his family was exempt from every debt. And so the importance of Saul's question. But secondly, the importance of Jonathan's covenant. At first glance, there doesn't seem like there's a connection between the previous verses and these. And I suppose that's why we have such a misplaced chapter heading. The last part of the denouement is found out, though, in chapter 18, 1 through 4. 
As soon as he had finished this, David speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. What a remarkable response from someone in Jonathan's position. He was the king's eldest. He had had earned his stature. If you read through 1 Samuel, you'll see how wonderful of a general and a commander he was. He had the admiration of all the people through his valor. And he was the heir apparent. He was the royal prince. And usually, or very often at least in such situations, it is common for a man in Jonathan's position to take care of someone like David, an upstart, to get rid of him, at the very least to undermine him and to criticize this guy, making things difficult for him. But rather, the scriptures tell us that Jonathan loved David as his own soul. We might say they became soul mates. Now, you know, many of you know that I have a twin brother. Some of you are surprised a few weeks ago when he was here and you thought he was I and it wasn't me. And you stayed up long and thought about what this riddle might mean. But Bernie and I are what we might call womb mates. We were pretty close. We still are, by God's grace. But closer than that, closer than a biological relationship, we have Jonathan and David being soulmates, soulmates, like one soul in two bodies. And here is a bond of love deeper than any ordinary friendship. And then Jonathan does something extraordinary. He makes a covenant He cuts a covenant with David as an expression of his love for David. He cuts a covenant. Animals are divided, and then the pieces are set over against each other. And then David and Jonathan walk between these slain animals. And it was a ritual of self-maledictory oath. And they said to each other, they promised on oath. May we be torn apart like these animals if our friendship or our loyalty, our covenant loyalty, ceases. You see, it was a pledge, a vow of fidelity and faithfulness that Jonathan showed, that Jonathan made with David, loving David as himself. It's covenant, steadfast loyalty, or steadfast love. Now what an incredible, what an incredible example we have here of male friendship. Spiritual friendship. They come from different sides of the track. And Jonathan is probably 20 plus years David's senior. And as a sign of the covenant, notice what Jonathan does. He strips himself of the robe 
and he gave it to David. Verse 4. Then he takes off his armor and he gives that to David. And then, what's even more? He takes his sword, his bow, and his belts and he gives that to David. In other words, everything he gives to David. Everything. What's Jonathan doing? He is passing over his succession rights to David. He was giving up his own crown rights and he is stepping aside and he's saying to David, the new king, he says, David, you're the king. You are the king. And thus he clothes them then with his regalia. And he says, you're the next king. I'm your servant. He's submitting to Yahweh's selection of Israel's king. And then he bows before his king. What an amazing, amazing scene of self-sacrifice. Humbling himself before a shepherd boy. But a boy that God had selected from all eternity. And as you read the narratives before and after, Jonathan's not angry with God. He's not, he's not all upset that this is happening. He's not resentful. He's not filled with envy. He loves David. This is the best thing in Jonathan's life, you see. He recognizes God's ways and he loves David now more than his own soul and thus covenants with him. What a, what a glorious picture of self-sacrificing love for a friend. And this is reciprocated. David relates to Jonathan lovingly, and out of this mutual love, a love that is stronger than death, they become one spirit. And they make a covenant that guarantees that nothing, nothing will break their holy spiritual friendship. And you remember, whereas Saul's armor did not fit David, now Jonathan's armor Fits him like a glove. Beautiful. Glorious. And it bestows glory and beauty now on Israel's king. And do you notice verse 2? You might wonder, what's, what's that there for? And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. I think the narrator interjects that verse there to show us contrast. Saul relates to David enviously and uses David for his own purpose and for his own glory and to advance his own esteem. You might think, you might think that after such a victory, Saul would have nothing but words of praise to Israel's God, Yahweh, and to God's servant David. 
but there's none. None. Not one word. Silence. And why is that? Because Saul has no love for either. He is incapable of love because he does not know God's love. And dear people of God, this is the key to a loving relationship. You cannot truly love one another as God has called us to until you are truly, you truly know that you are loved by God. Because only then you're free from ulterior motives like Saul trying to get attention and love from one another. And Jonathan here experiences the love of God. David experienced the love of God. They knew God's love, to use Paul's language. They knew God and they were known by God. And now love could freely flow without any manipulation. That's true godly love. Well, let's return as we conclude to the beginning of the last denouement. Why at this time, why at this time was Jonathan's soul knit to his friend David's? What was it that spurred Jonathan on to cut a covenant with his friend David to show such devotion to him and to express such extraordinary humility? Verse 1 of chapter 18. As soon as David had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. What was it? What was it that struck Jonathan so that he loved David now as his own soul? It was this. Verse 58 of chapter 17. It's David's answer. I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Do you see it? By faith now, Jonathan, Saul's son, by faith he understood that David was the Lord's anointed, one from the tribe of Judah and one from Bethlehem. And he understood this. That's what Israel was looking for, a king from Judah. And when Jonathan saw or heard David's answer, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Jonathan understood. And then this announcement coupled with David's spectacular victory over the enemies of God, Goliath in particular, evidenced that the Spirit of God had come upon David Jonathan's heart was smitten with God's new king. Jonathan understood 
for the first time and, and, and so humbly he acknowledged David as the successor to the throne. The Lord's anointed his superior. And my friends, that's what explains this deep, one-souled relationship between these two men. It's not just two men having an outstanding relationship, one with another, something that just any of us would be able to accomplish with enough humility and with the right person. Or, for that matter, that we could even attain with our own spouses. In fact, this relationship is so extraordinary that David says upon the death of his dear friend, his beloved friend, 2 Samuel 1.26, Jonathan lies slain on your high places. I'm distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. An extraordinary love. A spiritual bond. And what we have here is Jonathan modeling the way a believer is knit in a bond of covenant loyalty or steadfastness to our King, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amazingly, we, as brothers and sisters who by faith have been brought into union with our Lord Jesus Christ, we become one spirit with the lover of our souls. You remember how the Apostle Paul speaks of this in 1 Corinthians 6 when he quotes Genesis 2 about a man and a woman being married in holy matrimony. He says they become one flesh, one flesh. But then he says, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. 1 Corinthians 6, 17. Isn't that glorious? In the Old Testament, this glorious picture of this extraordinary love between Jonathan and the king is modeled for you and me. For all those after in Israel and for you and me of what it looks like to give our absolute devotion to our king and to submit ourselves to God's anointed. Now it's so sad but not expected that as you read liberal scholars, they can only suggest that there was a homosexual relationship going on between Jonathan and David. What else, they say, could describe such fidelity? Now, you know they're onto something, but they can't interpret the meaning. They see and perhaps even long for such commitment, such covenant love, such fidelity. 
a friendship that extends beyond the next drama in their lives. Oh, to have such a friend. But because of the perversity of their minds, darkened, all they can think of is sinful relationships. But by God's grace, we don't. Because the truth is our friendship with Jesus Christ, the God-man, will endure throughout all eternity in pure, unmitigated pleasure without sexual provision. In fact, even the closest, most intimate relationship, godly relationship on this earth, holy marriage, which includes and demands sexual activity, will be superseded in heaven by the marriage between Christ and his purchased bride. And so Jonathan here, he illustrates the only proper response to the anointed of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what does that mean? Well, it means to give up what Jonathan gave up physically. It means to give up your pretended rights to be your own king. It means removing self from your throne on your heart. It means putting down all your weapons, all your rebellion, all your defenses. And it means submitting to the Savior that God has sent, the only Redeemer of Israel. It means to follow Christ because you're in, by faith you recognize him to be the Lord's anointed. As the Apostle Paul says, we have not yet seen and yet we love him. And it means to enter into covenant through faith in him, promising to be faithful even to death and then beyond. It means loving him more than yourself every day. Now as you come across these questions, you might say, how can I do that? How is it even possible for me to do that to show this extraordinary fidelity and covenant love to my Lord, like we have of the picture of David, or Jonathan to David. The answer to that question is to ask the first question we asked, that Saul's asking, whose son is he? That Christ asked, whose son is he? You see, all our love, all our devotion to Jesus Christ is predicated on his eternal love of you. We love him, John says, because he first loved us. And our love then is reciprocated towards him, the lover of our souls. There is no one spirit union with Jesus Christ 
unless we know him and are known by him. Unless we submit to God's provisions for us and receive it with open arms and open hands, his gift. And you see, that's the difference between Saul and Jonathan, between a father and a son. Not only a difference that marked their lives, as we see in the narrative, but a difference of destiny. Jonathan loved David because God first loved Jonathan. And now you understand why Saul's question is so important. To know whose son is he is to be one spirit with Christ Jesus, which is to have abundant life now and forevermore. And so that's the question that you must answer. That's the question you must answer. It's the most important question you'll ever ask and answer in your life. For to know our Lord Jesus Christ, to be our King, is to be known by Him. To know His steadfast love for sinners. And that is so precious that the psalmist says it's more precious than life itself, Psalm 36. His steadfast covenant loyalty to us is our life. And our Lord Jesus showed us his love. And this is the love you need to know, the everlasting love of God, only experience as we submit to God's King, our Lord Jesus. And as you read the Gospels then, our Lord Jesus showed us his eternal love for sinners. That he stripped himself to clothe us like Jonathan did David. But he emptied himself so that we might become enriched. But he did more than Jonathan. He clothed himself with our rags. He took upon himself our sin. He became, as Paul says, sin for us, who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is love, the Apostle John says. Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us. And by faith in Christ, we enjoy this love. A love that's stronger than death. That has secured us for an eternal friendship. And supplies us with all grace now. To love him. And then forever. Oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. Amen. O Lord, our God, how glorious are your ways, your truths past finding out. We come to you acknowledging Christ Jesus to be our king, our only king, the lover of our souls. We pray this morning that you, by your spirit, would reignite the love of and the flame that somewhat sometimes gets
just flickering. As you have shown us the love of Christ and our response and what it should be to our King. Oh, Father, we acknowledge this morning that our love is often so flaky. We are more interested in our own love and seeking our own love than loving others. We're often thinking about ourselves when we should be thinking of you and other people to love them, love you and love our neighbors. And so we acknowledge, Lord, our sin, our shortcomings. But we thank you this morning that you have given us and set before us the great hope of the gospel. That you not only show us through Jonathan and David the way we ought to submit to our king and how we ought to do it every day. But you have shown us Christ Jesus, the one who has loved us when we are yet rebels. Father, you have sent him. And that from all eternity he has set his love upon us and in time with those cords of everlasting love he has drawn us savingly to yourself and secured us in the Savior's love. And so we bless you now and we'll bless you forever and ever. Praise be to you, our God. We ask, Lord, that those, if there are some here who do not know you, who do not know this love, who are just pretending, going through the motions, Lord, you would strike them now and that they might submit for the first time, perhaps, laying down all their weapons and embracing the one that you have sent, the one who loves us. Oh God, bless your people then and bring glory to our King Jesus today and throughout all our, li our lives. In Christ's name we pray, amen.